Our district is one of the poorest districts in the nation, actually. Um, but I know that what we lack in economic prosperity, we more than make up for in heart and hard work and spirit and fight. After all, it was our district that brought this nation the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Act of 1965. All righty. Welcome in, boys and girls. Uh, it's a very special episode of the Alabama Politics This Week podcast. I mean, not for y'all, for us. Mm-hmm. And really, we're the most important people. Um, <laughs> I mean, we do this for ourselves, not for any other reason. Uh, <laughs> if we were doing it for other reasons, we'd get paid more. Uh, but, um, you know, no, it's uh, we're, we're uh, on a different day. Uh, we did it to, to accommodate our very special guest, uh, mm-hmm. who is uh, Representative Terry Sewell, a uh, very busy lady. Uh, is uh, you know running around all over the place, and uh, I know that uh, that David, you had some you, some questions you wanted to ask her about the uh, the black belt project uh, yeah. that she has uh, she started, and uh, and I you know I just wanted to talk about you know happenings that are going on in Congress because there seems to be a lot of them. Yeah. Um, you know, it's um it, it'll be a very interesting conversation with her. She's um really she's all we got. Uh, you know, she's, it shouldn't, she shouldn't be all we have, but she's all we got. Um, she's the only one really doing work. Uh, I guess, you know, Richard Shelby to a, to a degree, but, uh, Shelby's done a lot of work, but I think, I think in terms of representing not only the, the, uh, you know, the, I, I, I think that the difference is, uh, she has pursued, um, and I would also say Doug Jones before her, they pursued, they pursued uh, objectives that were generally left off the table mm-hmm. and that probably affect in the long run more Alabamians than, uh, than a lot of the things even that Shelby has done, even though, yeah. you know, Shelby's done some great stuff for the economy and so forth. But, but, uh, but you know, a lot of that is, you know, related to government money and defense money right. and, and what yeah, it's not trickling down as they say. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. No, yeah, you're right. It's a hundred percent, man. She's, uh, she has been able to, uh, to latch onto issues, uh, you know, uh, just in her district alone, you know, the black belt stuff, the, the sewer, th- uh, issues, the, you know, just things that, that help out the average Alabamian, uh, that you don't get from people in other districts. Um, mm-hmm. and, you know, that's um, that's who she is. We're lucky. We're lucky we have her. Um, you know, so she's like good times. Ain't we lucky we got them? Uh, so uh, you know, I can tell you someone we're not lucky to have. <laughs> uh, wrote a column uh, this week about our less than fine attorney general, yeah, uh, Steve so. Marshall. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know. At a point, at a point, or, or I say this, up to a point, I understand the politics, okay? I do. Mm-hmm. I get it. I get mm-hmm. it. I, I understand who you're pandering to. I understand what you're doing. Um, up to a point. Up to 
you know, the, the line that, that we have in this state. I, do I think it's stupid and ignorant and, and you know, and catering to people that sh- who should know better and who you should be helping to educate better on issues? Yes, I do. Otherwise, we wind up in the situations that we're in. Um, and we could name off a bunch of them in the state. That said, what Steve Marshall has done to the Alabama Attorney General's office goes beyond politics in my mm. mind. Okay. Um, I, I don't care. Listen, I, I can sit here and say to you that I disagreed wholeheartedly with a lot of the conservative positions that Luther Strange took. Yeah. Okay. I did. Uh, however, I also know from the people who worked in that office uh, to the public uh, face of that office, to the things that transpired while he was there, that Luther Strange ran the office of attorney general the way most Alabamians wanted the office of attorney general to run. They wanted to be tough on crime. They wanted him to be uh, tough on political crime, uh, the, the political crooks out there. They wanted that, that stuff to be stamped out. They wanted ethics. They wanted uh, you know, him, to, him to go after and prosecute uh, government officials who stole their money or misused their office, and they did that. And they wanted a strong consumer protection uh, uh, portion of the Attorney General's office. And I, I feel like Luther Strange did those things, even though With the notable made, exception. Yeah, right, go ahead. Yeah, go he, ahead. Made, he made a couple of very, very stupid decisions. Um, One of which benefited, was designed to benefit him personally. Yes. Uh, But beyond that, yes, they they were. They were incredibly stupid. I mean, just incredibly stupid uh, decisions. Tell tell people, because I know what you're talking about, you know, but tell people about how Strange was trying to position himself to be uh, the 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 permanently elected senator of Alabama, and <laughs> right, so and he would be the dude. Yeah. Could he could have been measuring the drapes? I mean, yeah. you know, it's uh, he yeah. was. Uh, that's how close he was. He was he was going to be Alabama's U.S. senator. That's who he was. All this stuff would have never transpired. All you know, uh, the Tom, Tommy Tuberville would never be a thing mm-hmm. uh, for us. If but he tried to bargain with a guy who was under investigation and Robert Bentley, who was under investigation by his office. Stupid, uh, stupid. Bill Britt and Susan Britt sat outside the grand jury room and watched the guy walk in, you know, and and then they tried to lie about it. And then Luther Strange lied about, you know, well, is Bentley under investigation? Who's to say? I mean, it was just so stupid. Stupid, stupid, All he had to do was wait like nine months and he would have been the guy. It was over. Uh, But I'll say this as well. On the backside of this, just to tell you who we're dealing with in Steve Marshall. Steve Marshall got the job of attorney general from that same governor. And he got it with the understanding that when he got in there, he was going to uh, investigate the investigators who were investigating Robert Bentley. That's what he agreed to. That is said that that has been. We reported that in APR and I believe others reported it as well. And it came from. Sources that were the very best of sources. Okay, um, and so I, it is true, and nobody has has denied it to this day. Um, and that's how he started. That's how he started this job, and he has continued down this pathway of what's best for Steve Marshall. 
That's where every decision seems to be made in that office. And that's where I have a huge problem with how Steve Marshall runs the office. Well, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in here with a problem that I've got, which I, I, I share your concerns, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I also have a problem with the fact that Steve Marshall, following, quite honestly, following the legacy of Luther Strange, yes, and mm-hmm. Troy King, yes, mm-hmm. uh, has decided that, um, that it's perfectly fine for him to build his political career off of executions. And I find that morally reprehensible. So, oh, I, yeah, I, I agree. So, so, but, Casey, so Casey, but he doesn't care about executions. Well, I, well, that's my point. I yeah. think it's morally reprehensible. You know, so case in point, you've got this man who's set to be executed. Uh, we're recording this on Wednesday this week. Mm-hmm. You got this man, um, uh, Joe Nathan James, who's set to be executed tomorrow evening, mm-hmm. right? APR's yep. written about it. Uh, I'm actually working on a column about it for uh, with a different, slightly different angle. Um, and the the thing that troubles me is that, you know, these politicians, and, and, and he's not, you know, the, the attorney generals in our state have been doing this, at least the, the Republican ones for sure. And... With the complicity of the governors, including one of the governors that I happen to like, even though he was a Republican, Bob Riley, he was the same. Kay Ivey is the same. Robert Bentley is the same. You know, they they seem to think that it's perfectly fine to just execute people. And 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 in the case of of uh, of Joe Nathan James, um the problem that I have is that the family of the victim, mm-hmm. and uh, and this is the Hall family, the Hall family has taken the position that they do not want Mr. James to be executed for religious reasons. Right. They feel they they have forgiven him, they say, and they have consequently, they think he should just serve you know, life in prison without parole. Mm -hmm. There are over 5,600 people currently serving some version of of a life without parole sentence, either life with parole or, I'm sorry, not life, of a life sentence, either Mm -hmm. life with parole, life without parole, or what they call virtual life, you know, which is like 50 years plus. Right. You know, it's not going to hurt the system in the state of Alabama to have one more person serving life without parole. It's just not going to hurt the system. In fact, some estimates even say that it's cheaper for an inmate to be in prison for the rest of his or her life than it is to execute them when you start looking at the legal cost and so forth. So. This this none of this has persuaded Steve Marshall, who has implored the governor to execute this man. And in all likelihood, the governor's going to do what she's done before and what other governors have done before her. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, not intervene. And this man is going to be killed against the wishes of the victim's family. Yeah. The victim's. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, I, I agree. Uh, yeah. 
I agree with what you're saying. All right, I want that, that to be upfront. Where uh, I, I, I kind of veer off a bit is my belief here is given his record and what he says and how he behaves. I don't think it matters to Steve Marshall in the least whether or not this man is executed. He's not a person that cares that you're that he's this is not his. There's not some closely held belief that we're that this uh, you know the punishment ought to be this or that or that the death penalty is right or wrong. He doesn't. That that's my problem is he doesn't have those beliefs. What he believes is is that he needs to be in a higher office, and so he's going to do whatever in the hell will appease the most people. Uh, in the voting base in Alabama. And what will appease the most people in the voting base of Alabama is executing a black man uh, for a crime, a horrific crime, and proving that you're tough on crime because that's what you do uh, here. But doesn't you know, that just, make it more morally reprehensible? Though? Oh, if, I'm not saying, oh, listen, I'm not excusing you. Don't, <laughs> don't mistake yeah. it. I'm just saying that there's not some belief that he has here about so, this thing. So, in other, in other words, he's not like a Bob Riley, who I've had the discussion with. And, right. and Riley, when he was governor, was trying to tell me. Well, I shouldn't say trying to tell me. He told me that, mm-hmm. you know, he had a basis for his belief. And he told me what it was. He had a, a religious right. basis, which I think is pretty weird because Creep, I have yeah, a religious yeah. reason why I oppose it. Yeah. yeah. And but if anyway. you read through the book, it, it would seem <laughs> would seem to uphold your side more, much more than his. I, I uh, think much more than his. Yeah. yeah. I think much more than his. But anyway, yeah. Yeah. Um, nonetheless, I, I see what you're saying. But that to me makes Marshall even more morally reprehensible. Yeah. Yeah. That's my I mean, and, and that's that's my point about all of this is. You look at what he does every day and how he behaves and every single instance almost is something devoted to, to the betterment of Steve Marshall, not to the betterment of Alabama, not to the betterment of the attorney general's office, not to the betterment of the people that he serves. But what is best for Steve Marshall? And, and I made the point here uh, of, you know, he, he sued Biden. Uh, earlier this week, or, or he signed on to a lawsuit. He didn't actually sue anybody because he's never written anything that I'm aware of uh, in terms of lawsuits. Um, and and so he signed the state up to another lawsuit against Joe Biden. And then they sent out a press release touting Steve Marshall suing Joe Biden. Uh, and this one was about, you know, the Biden administration has a, a, a policy that states if you discriminate against children, you, you're at risk of losing federal funding for a free and reduced lunch. Yeah, you um, said children, but I think you mean trans children, right? Well, it's I mean, if it, it's part of from what I understand, I, and I looked up last night, I have to go back and, and read it. But I, I believe it, transgender children are a big part of this. Yes. Okay. Uh, but I believe it's just simply a discrimination policy that's pretty widespread, but also oh. includes transgender okay. children. OK. okay. And, and so, um, you know, and then, of course, they thought, well, if you don't have separate bathrooms or separate sports teams, like the Biden administration has said that, you know, girls have to play boys basketball now or some nonsense. Mm. It's so absurd. You know, uh, all, all I've asked you to do is to not treat people like shit. Is that so hard for you to do that you've got to just, you know, but mm. so he's did. It. But in the meantime, in the meantime, there is a real live situation that's taking place just a few miles from where this man goes to work every day. 
uh, at a supplier to Hyundai, uh, a smart Alabama yep. uh, in Laverne. Yep. What it is, they were basically running a child sweatshop over mm. there, according to employees who worked there, who I've spoken to, mm-hmm. who I've spoken with. Uh, they said 50, 50, 50 mm. kids around there, approximately. Could be more, could be less. They claim more, but I'll, you know, 50 still a lot. One yeah. is too many. 50 yeah. a hell of a lot. Um, we had this whole case. And so if you're unaware of this, of, of how this all came about, they had a, a child working. They had children working in this plant. Uh, a, a, a sister and her two siblings, uh, the, the girl was, uh, was 13 years old. Her younger brother was 12. Older brother was 15. They were all working in this plant. She leaves mm-hmm. on, to go to Atlanta. Get this. Oh. Because she feels like that she can find better working conditions at a plant in Atlanta. Mm. Uh, leaves with a 21-year-old co-worker mm. uh, to take this trip. Doesn't tell anybody because mm. she's a child. And her father freaks out and reports her missing. Rightfully yeah. so. Um, and, you know, I mean, had it been me, we would have reported her missing and also the 21-year-old dead later. Uh, yeah, and so, yeah. Because you know, it, was, I mean, it was a person of the opposite sex, I'm assuming, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. Uh, that person, according to two reports that I read, was uh, deported uh, after mm. this, uh, mm. was uh, arrested and then deported. Um, and so, uh, but, you know, we're talking about migrant children here. Uh, mm-hmm. The Enterprise Police are the ones who were alerted to this. They located the girl, got her back home, um, and then they found out what was taking place, that the kids were all missing school and stuff. Mm-hmm. And they reported this to the attorney general's office. This was in February. Mm-hmm. In February. Reuters mm-hmm. wrote this story last week, last Friday. Yeah. And in a matter of hours, the Alabama uh, Department of Labor, the U.S. Department of Labor, uh, the FBI, and a number of other agencies have opened up investigations into what's taking place at Smart Alabama. And they're going to undoubtedly be fines. And I don't know if anybody will go to jail because, you know, corporate executives rarely do. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it, there's going to be something that's done. You know, at least for a little while, they're not going to be em- uh, employing and exploiting uh, minor children who should be in school and the, our attorney general just apparently set on this. Uh, I, I've spoken to someone uh, closely related to the Department of Labor. Um, you know, maybe could be an employee, maybe not. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a source of mine mm-hmm. that who, who would know. And they say that this was never passed along to the Department of Labor. They had no indication that this was taking place. Um, first they'd heard about it was from Reuters. So, wow. you know, maybe Marshall was running his own top secret investigation into this. But I know that from speaking to the employees that up until two weeks ago, the, the damn kids were still working there. So mm, mm, it, mm. whatever he was, if he was running an investigation, it wasn't a very good one. Yeah. Yeah. So, and this is what I'm saying. There, there are other examples of this. You know, I watched them. Uh, when they were t- making the case against the sheriff in Limestone County, uh, Blakely, um, you know, they, they used a witness that was under investigation and they hid it from everybody. 
They hid it from the court. They lied to everybody about what they were doing. Okay. I'm not making a claim about Blakely, whether or not he was guilty or innocent of some of the things that he did or whether or not he should have been convicted of some things. But you can't do it that way. Uh, Did the same thing to the Clark County Sheriff down there. Went down, made a deal with him. Once he agreed to the plea deal and then then told them what they wanted to know, they tried to renege on the plea deal uh, and, and tried to charge him. And the judge was like, you can't do that. What world are you living in? Uh, there were there were a couple of cops from over in Selma who were caught fairly red-handedly, I would say, uh, taking items from the evidence room. They screwed up the prosecution of that as well mm. Uh, mm. by putting somebody in the grand jury room who shouldn't been who shouldn't have been in there. And it's just it, it's that's what I'm saying. It's one thing after another. On top of the fact that they have just absolutely annihilated the special prosecutions division. Uh, and that's the division that most Alabamians loved because it's the one that went after the political crooks in this state. It's the one that nailed uh, Mike Hubbard and all of his cronies, uh, you know, uh, nailed a lot of Democrats, too. You know, people hated Matt Hart over there. A lot of Democrats hated his guts. All right. But he was going after political corruption, right or wrong, in your mm-hmm. eyes. You know, and that's what people wanted. That's what the attorney general's office does. Not to mention there's no viable consumer protection uh, department mm-hmm. over there anymore. They don't do anything. Uh, they pissed off the Mobile, uh, the Mobile County Sheriff's Office down there because of this ridiculous opioid settlement that they entered into. Mo- Mobile thought they had millions of dollars coming their way and the AG's office coming in on top of them and, and undercut them. And it, you know, so it's just, that's what I'm saying. And it, it's, it's always a fight and it's always about Steve Marshall. And that's the problem that I have here. Well, until Alabamians and I and I and I think it would probably start with Republican voting Alabamians until they wake up to these realizations and 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 come to understand how uh, it how detrimental it is to the state and to them as citizens. Yeah, he's he's going to be with us. And, you know, I, I don't have any doubt that like other people who currently occupy certain offices that he's got aspirations for a higher office. Oh, and there's so he's, no doubt about so it. So he's, he's, he's trying to hang around for, yep. for, for governor Ivy to, you know, finish up her last term, whenever that's going to be, Yeah, you know, so that he can be in a position to try to run for that office, I would imagine, or, or maybe Lieutenant governor, if not that. Yeah. Yeah, I would assume it's one or the other. Uh, you know, uh, he's he's got a pretty big blockade in that regards, and and Will Ainsworth, um, you know, and so I, I, I just you're right. It, it comes it comes down to voters, and you know we, I, I don't know what to do, man. I don't know what to do anymore with this team game that we're playing, uh, and when it comes to politics. Um, and, you know, listen, it's, it's not right to vote for a Democrat just to vote for a Democrat. All right. I would never right. go into a voting booth right. and, and hit the, uh, the notch at the top that says all Democrat, you know, straight Democrat ticket. I wouldn't do that. I mean, it's, you know, I, there are in most cases, I, yes, my what I believe, my ideological beliefs more closely align with people who are are Democrats and a part of the Democratic Party in this state. But but I also know. There are some people who shouldn't be in office, you know, That's right. 
They're not doing the right things. They're not serving the people. Yeah. You know, and you got to vote those people out. You got to. Should you do it during the primary? Yes, you should, which is another problem that I have with the way that we've set this thing up, which uh, where the party always, always is deferential to uh, the part, the incumbent. Uh, there, and, you know, sometimes that shouldn't be the case. You know, sometimes you should give people a a, a better option on some things. And uh, I, you know, I just we've got to stop this. You know, it, it just we, what we're doing here and, and electing these people, it's not serving us, and that's what they're there for. You're not winning the game. You don't win just because you got more Republicans there. You win when the people you put in office do things that that help you. That's what you win from. I, I don't know what the hell to do anymore with people. Well, it's a it's a tough thing, and I think so much of it has to do with just the uh, the culture of misinformation that has been established here in the state. I was reading uh, this uh, really thoughtful New York Times uh, story about Alabama, yeah, and about how the taxation system has really, which is of course has been codified by the 1901 Constitution, Mm -hmm. how it really has created uh, a lot of the economic disparities that that you and I rail about week in and week out. And um, but unfortunately, you know, there's a there's a culture of, of, of misinformation and and lack of information in our state. And um, and it's you know, and I hate to say it, but again, I think uh, a lot of these politicians understand that um, when they're talking about certain issues, people become like putty in their hands. Yeah. You know, all you got to do is bring up the specter of something related to sex, yep. you know, or gender that makes people uncomfortable and yeah. they're putty in their hands or, or, or bring up something related, you know to to race you know that that plays on their deepest darkest fears about race uh even though history has shown us that none of those fears you know uh, are justifiable are justifiable fears i mean what okay so you you know the we should be over the whole uh, what we used to call miscegenation, we should really be way over that. I mean, right. you look around all over the place. There are interracial couples and interracial kids, and you know, society still functions pretty well. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, but um, we're but, doing but, okay. Yeah. yeah, we're doing just fine. You yeah. know, in fact, in fact, some of the people that 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 we are attracted to the most, you know, in mm-hmm. sports and whatever, they're clearly interracial. You know, they have mixed yeah. blood. Yeah, you know? I was gonna say a lot of a lot of really hot mixed blood people out there. Yeah, man. Yeah, entertainers and everything. So I mean, it's just kind of crazy. But anyway, they know the hot buttons that are still unfortunately baked into our culture here in the deep south, and they yep. and they um, and they manipulate those. Yeah, it's you're you're right. It's a it's it's a you know really a lesson in in human manipulation uh, if you look at. Uh, at the South as a whole and Alabama as a state, really. I mean, it is, it's a, there could be entire, and I'm sure there probably are entire college courses uh, taught on the, uh, the masterful. And I use that in, in no way uh, complimentary, no complimentary way, but the masterful manipulation of, of so many people, you know, white people, especially into, 
in in most ways voting against their interest. I mean, that, there there are I, I would bet you that ninety percent of Alabamians today have more in common with their black and Hispanic neighbors than they do with lawmakers and business executives of their uh, other white lawmakers and business executives. Um, this idea to me that skin pigmentation <laughs> somehow has been utilized as a way to divide people and, and is still seen by so many people as a reasonable way to divide people mm -hmm. is it's so idiotic when you actually sit back and think about it. You know, I mean, we, I'm like, you know, really? I mean, you don't want to sell me a house because I'm more tan than you. I mean, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, what yeah. are you talking about? Why? Yeah. I, you don't want to employ me because I, my hair looks different than yours. Uh. You know, I mean, it, it's so it's, insane when you actually think sit back and think about it in just like realistic terms you know you boil it all down to the base level and say all right what are we talking about here why don't you want these things to happen why why don't you want that person to date your daughter or date your son or you know, why why is that you know and it's just so what are you talking about you know i mean it's just yeah. have you ever actually talked to other people you know what you know yeah. you, you realize that that doesn't really work and I, it just, I, it, it has been, it has been masterfully used by people though for so long to get folks that they really need to go along with their idiotic ideas, to go along with those idiotic ideas because it's going to benefit the people with those idiotic ideas much more so than the people following along. Yeah. And here we are. Here we are. I mean, we got people right now. There are people right now today that will argue you to the death about unions, uh, you know, that will argue you about you know, raising the minimum wage. People on minimum wage will argue <laughs> you about not raising the minimum wage. It's just I make your head explode, you know, and, and it all goes back to this, you know, to a lot of these things that you're talking about. It's just crazy to me. But. Oh, and and this is how we wind up with the Steve Marshalls of the world, and they're killing us. They're absolutely killing us, Smalls. You know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Alabama, Alabama suffers as a state because of the uh, the culture, the political and social culture that has been cultivated down here. We suffer. Yeah. We suffer tremendously. Yeah. You know, uh, we we have high infant mortality rates. We have high poverty rates. We. You know, and all that comes along with that, and 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 people, it, it's really bizarre to me that there seems to be a level of satisfaction, or at the very least, complacency about that. And yeah, I, it's just really profoundly disturbing. And yet, as you say, at the end of the day, you're kind of left with, well, what do we do? What what can we do? I mean, what can we try that hasn't been tried to to penetrate? those those fears and barriers that that allow that to be and i i don't have the answer any more than you do no i know man it's uh it's crazy um it has been crazy and um and, and it just you know I, it, it gets me um 
you know, I, I mean, there's a whole other thing we can go into, but it, it just, I, I don't, I don't want to, you know, I keep harping on the same thing. We, we've done it before. It's just, you know, it, it's these self-fulfilling things, you know, that, uh, where yeah, I'll have conversations with people and they're like, oh, well then why is the black poverty rate so high if they're not different? Why do you think that is? You think maybe somebody might have treated them differently than you? I mean, God, you know, it's just, oh, I like to strangle people sometimes, you know, and it's, uh, well, all right, we're going to slide out of here. All right. We'll come back <laughs> and have a much more calm yeah. discussion. Uh, we're going to get uh, a sip of water or, or, yeah. or something. Yeah, we're going to go in here stuff. and have a beer. Uh, we're going to have a we have a much more sane conversation with Representative Terry Sewell when we get back. Alabama politics this week. We're back in a minute. I'm David Person with Alabama Politics This Week. You know, you listen to me and Josh every week. And we have a blast as we talk about Alabama politics and culture and as we interview newsmakers and journalists about Alabama politics and culture. Thanks for your support of this great podcast. And I hope that you will continue to not only listen, but to share it with your friends and also give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you're listening to it. Thanks a lot. All righty. Welcome back. Alabama Politics This Week. Josh Moon, David Person, and uh, we are happy. Ain't you? We're always very happy uh, when Alabama's only working congressperson uh, comes <laughs> on with us um, as Congresswoman Terry Sewell. And, uh, you know, thank you. I, listen, I know, I know you're relaxing. It's a nice, calm day that there's <laughs> nothing going on. Uh, so I appreciate you, you know, taking a little bit of time out of that nice, relaxing day for us. Well, anything for you and David, for sure, Josh. And uh, I want to thank you all for uh, for really uh, being the voice of, of Alabama in the sense that you guys get um, to the heart of what the issues are, both state and local. And it's just an honor to be on your show. Well, listen, we, we appreciate it. And, and, and I, when I, the thing that I like is when, when you talk to uh, Congresswoman or, or the folks in her office and you say, you know, what, you know, what you want to talk about. And it's, and it's never, it's, this is what they said. This is literally what they said. She wants to talk about her job fair. You know, what other congressperson are you going to call, you know, is it call up and say, you know, she wants to talk about the job fair because that, that helps people. This is something you've done for, what, 11 years now? Yes, yeah, since, uh, since the moment I got elected, we talked about uh, improving the economic conditions of Alabama's 7th Congressional District. I think everything starts with the dignity of a job, uh, Josh. And so I think that um, this commitment to, to, to have a traveling job fair um, where we have, uh, you know, employers from all different kinds of industries in Alabama, uh, everything from automotive industry. So we have Mercedes Benz and Hyundai and Honda. All of the big players will be there, um, as well as uh, local hospitality. So restaurants and, you know, um, so and logistics. A lot of folks need um, help with uh, drivers these days, whether it's Dollar General or Amazon. Um, so it's a it's a great opportunity um, to uh, really connect job seekers with employers in, in the modern era when everything is very apersonal online. Um, so to have, you know, 65 
employers. Right now we have 65. I, I suspect it'll be like years past where we've had more like 85, 90 employers. When we're in Birmingham, we always have hundreds of employers, actually. Um, right. We've moved uh, this year. It's going to be in the Black Belt. It's uh, Thursday, August 4th. So next Thursday from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at Wallace Community College in the gymnasium will be our 11th annual job fair. Um, nothing brings me greater pride than to be stopped in the grocery store by someone who's gotten a job from our job fair. Um, you know, it's a, it's an important thing. And I, um, and for me, constituency first, right? It's all about the constituents. I have this great job because of the folks who um, elected me in my district to represent the whole district. So whether you voted for me or not, it's all about uh, trying to do what's in the best interest of the district. And that has always been my North Star. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, you know, and and you actually live in the district, which is also, you know, kind of odd these days. Apparently, I grew up in the district, too. I grew up in the rural part of the, I grew up in Selma. Right. And I live in Birmingham. But um, yeah, no, I, I, I always uh, it you know, the, the reason I even ran for Congress was because I so thought that um, my um, that the people who helped develop me were people in the black belt, people in this district from Birmingham and Montgomery and Selma. And so the opportunity now to give back, to be their voice uh, at, at any decision making table is uh, is a privilege and also an awesome responsibility that I never take lightly. Well, you know, and uh, there was another um, uh, there was another issue that you and I were uh, were in total agreement on for a long period of time. And I never I honestly thought that we it, were, it was never going to get done. And that was uh, the Medal of Freedom for uh, for our, our friend, uh, Fred Gray, Attorney Fred Gray. Um, and we were lucky enough to have him on just a few weeks ago, uh, just prior to the announcement of that. And, um, you know, what you were there at the ceremony. Uh, you were there with him. I know it's something, you know, no matter how stoic he likes to be. He I know this was something that, that really, really, really wanted for a long time. What was that like? What was it like for him? You know, Josh, we've been working on this for a long time. And, um, you know, there are um, it is the highest uh, civilian honor that a president can give to an individual to get mm -hmm. the presidential uh, medal of honor. And, you know, uh, the the reality is that uh, no one is more deserving of that than Fred Gray. When you think about the impact that this one young attorney did, had on so many pivotal cases, on so many um, had, you know, He's the only person I know who can say that they had as clients. Rosa Parks was his client. Martin Luther King Jr. was his client. John Lewis and the Freedom Fighters were his clients because he got the injunction that allowed the march from Selma to Montgomery to occur. Mm -hmm. um, and then you hear about all of these amazing civil rights cases that went up before the Supreme Court. And uh, at that time, a very young Fred Gray, who was one yeah. of the first African-American lawyers barred in Alabama, um, you know, uh, as he loves to say, a, a young boy from Montgomery, Alabama, uh, you know, uh, but uh, it's just, you know, he's now 91 years old. He still practices law, Josh. He still goes, oh, I know. goes in sharp as a tack. Sharp as yeah. a tack. And, you know, so I just want to thank uh, you and so many others who were supportive voices that really helped move this along. Um, you know, I think that uh, and also for him to get the Medal of Freedom when with uh, the same year that Diane Nash got it, you know, women yeah. of the movement are not often recognized. So the fact that Diane Nash, who was um, a part of SNCC um, and also really led the sit-ins, um, you know, was recognized was amazing as well.
But to have as, you know, Fred Gray, um, you know, I'm a lawyer. And, uh, you know, I when I think about the the lawyers that have, an, have made a formative impact on my life, um, it's the it's Judge Clemon, who was the first black federal judge uh, mm-hmm. in Alabama. I clerked for him. And Fred Gray, those were the ones, uh, as well as um, an attorney in Selma by the name of J.L. Chestnut. So these three African-American lawyers were just so, um, you know, just made such an impression on me um, that I, I, I know that their, their story, their life story, especially, you know, Fred Gray's life story, um, is one that will teach future generations that, that one person can make a difference, that, that uh, you know, it, it does make a difference to do the right thing. And, mm-hmm. and so um, to be in the room uh, at the White House with him and his family, um, the night before I, I took his family out for dinner and, you know, it was an opportunity for us to, to break bread and for, for me to really sit next to him and, and ask him what this meant for him. And as you said, Fred Gray is very stoic, uh, mm-hmm. but to see him kind of tear up um, when the president was putting the medal around his neck, um, you know, made me tear up as well. Uh, yeah. You know, and also, you know, what a great thing to be able to give someone their flowers while they still live. Right. Uh, he's yeah. 91 years old. And um, and so, you know, um, clearly uh, deserving. And it was uh, it was so great to have the National Bar Association, the American Bar Association. So many people weighed in uh, right. to help get this uh, nomination into the White House and all the supportive documentation. So um, just so blessed to have one of our own, you know, one of yeah. our own yes. uh, be recognized in such a profound way um, really does, I hope, spur the the interests of of young folks to get into public interest law, civil rights mm. law, labor law. You know, I mean, just to, yeah. to understand that you can make a difference in such a profound way. Yeah, That's beautiful. I, I, I just want to say uh, yeah. uh, t- two things real quick. Uh, first of all, uh, we should not go without mentioning uh, Representative Sewell's uh, contribution to that. Uh, she pushed for that for a long time. Uh, was the nominee for uh, for Fred Gray for getting that thing done. Also, uh, two of those people that you mentioned, uh, UW Clement and Fred Gray, I have held uh, arguments with uh, over the telephone, <laughs> uh, and uh, I I was squashed like a bug. Okay, and so I just I like UW Clement you to infuriate me to no end. He is so good. If you would like an argument so at some brilliant. point or listen in oh. arguments, argue with that man. Absolutely. Oh, he and, is. and you oh. do so at your own peril, arguing yeah. with either one of them, right? Um, yes. You can imagine yeah. as a young oh. lawyer right out of law school uh, to sit at the feet of John, uh, of UW Clement, Judge Clement, was just an honor of a lifetime. And the same is true with interviewing and talking and being in the presence, the orbit uh, mm-hmm. of Fred Gray. Um, just such an honor. And, you know, I try to to drink deep from the fountain of knowledge from these two. And uh, um, I, uh, I'll never forget um, walking in my first day at Judge Clemens uh, Law uh, his, when he was a, a federal judge in the federal courthouse, the Hugo Black Courthouse, and just being starstruck at the fact that, you know, as he said, we're the judge for the next year. You're my law clerk and we help make decisions. And mm-hmm. just the weight of the power of knowing uh, of the power of the pen of those opinions and what those opinions will do. And, you know, and for Fred Gray, I mean, gosh, you can't grow up in Selma, Alabama without knowing <laughs> about the civil yeah. rights and voting rights to have someone uh, of that importance. But he was so humble. Both men are so humble. Um, but Fred Gray is just so humble. He just, as he said, my job was to, you know, you know, it was to 
make sure that the that justice was served, that we followed the law, that we we um, you know we actually created the law when the law wasn't in the right uh, the uh, you know wasn't for the people, and so I just thought that that was um, very instrumental in so many ways, and and uh, so deserving, and so um, you know um, that's one of the ways one can pay it forward in this job. You know, so often as a member of Congress, people only um, focus on the bills that you pass. Um, and you always need 218 other people to agree with you in order to get the bill passed, right? Um, so it is really a, a legislating is team sport. And, and it's really important about coalition building and the like. But every day, Josh and, uh, and David, I, I get to use as this, this job as a platform, a voice for the voiceless in my district. Sure. A platform to promote all that is needed in my district to 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 try to secure better opportunities and more resources for the great people of Alabama's seventh congressional district. Uh, and when you think about the amazing assets that are in the district, um, downtown Birmingham is in our district. So you got Alabama Power and Regions and the and the like. Mercedes Benz is in our district. You know, Hyundai's in our district. Um, you know, we have you know General. Yeah, Dollar General and their whole distribution network is in our district. The University of Alabama and Stillman College and Miles College and uh, the Alabama State University uh, is in our district. Um, so I, I know that our district is one of the poorest districts in the nation, actually. Um, but I know that what we lack in economic prosperity, we more than make up for in heart and hard work and spirit and fight. After all, it was our district that brought this nation, the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Um, I always uh, tell my interns and, and the folks back home that we come from excellent stock and don't let anyone tell you differently, right? And if this, the story of this district is a story of um, from adversity to prosperity, from discrimination to equality. Like this is, that's the story of Alabama's seventh congressional district. And who who symbolizes that more uh, than than Fred Gray? Yeah, well said. Well said, Congresswoman. I want to shift gears here for a minute and ask you about uh, something that you have achieved that um, addresses, hopefully, uh, a longstanding issue, and that's the the economic and social conditions in the Black Belt. So you uh, sponsored this uh, Black Belt National Heritage Area Act, which has passed the House of Representatives. It's it passed. passed last week. We're very excited yeah. about it. It's going on to the Senate. And That's thank right. you for telling me about that. We've introduced this bill from the moment I got into uh, Congress. And what it does is it designates as a national heritage area, 19 counties of the Black Belt. So it would be the Black Belt National Heritage Area. And um, it would provide resources and that designation uh, makes it a part of the National Park Service and the Department of Interior and will allow and acknowledge that the, the rich heritage that is the Black Belt. Um, you know, Selma happens to be the queen city of the Black Belt. But when uh, I have the opportunity to, uh, to represent Wilcox County and Greene County and Hale County and Perry County and, um, and you know, uh, and Sumter County and the like. And so the University of West Alabama has been helping me uh, put together all of the um, the, uh, the 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 statistical data that had to go into creating this as a heritage uh, a heritage area. Uh, likewise, you know, it wasn't just a political appointment. You have to actually prove that the 19 counties in this case are um, 
deserve to have a national designation uh, and and to talk about um, those areas and what happened in those areas and how those areas have helped um, America, the United States, you know. And so when you think about the fact that Jim Lee Jackson was killed in uh, Marion, um, Alabama, um, which is in Perry County, which was really the spark that led uh, John Lewis and 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 uh, Bernard Lafayette and others to come to Selma, Alabama, right? Uh, and was the impetus for the march from Selma to Montgomery. Um, when you think about the richness of the soil of the uh, of these of the Black Belt, which made it the Cotton Belt uh, back during the during um, um, you know the Civil War and at all, but the agricultural uh, connection. Um, as well as a civil rights connection, um, make it really ripe to be a, a designation like this. And I want to thank Senator Shelby for um, being the sponsor on the Senate side. And I'm just so pleased that we were able to pass that bill. So, so what is it? What is it going to mean practically for the area? So the the area will practically get more money, and uh, and the the heritage designation. I look forward to it getting across the finish line on the Senate side and formally uh, creating the Black Belt Heritage uh, Area. Um, and in so doing, it becomes a, a federal designation that has money and resources, but also a public acknowledgement of the importance of the Black Belt. You know, often uh, the Black Belt is seen as a stepchild of Alabama. Um, and it just, it needs, it, it allows it to get its proper place as a very prominent um, and uh, important part of Alabama's history. Um, and the history of the, the Black Belt and the things that took place there, but also the importance of the Black Belt to, to Alabama's economic viability um, as the, the former Cotton Belt uh, of Alabama um, was, is critically important. So it's a cultural uh, as well as an economic opportunity to actually uh, spur economic development in the Black Belt. So this will be belt. in the form of grants, or how will the money yes. come, and, and what yes. can the money be used for? So the, man, the the resources will come in the form of grant opportunities that are only for heritage area designations. Um, and you cannot underestimate the power of economic development that will come from this kind of a designation. Um, just think about all of the um, the resources that have come from the Selma to Montgomery Trail designation uh, to the Black Belt. This is yet another way of incorporating more of the Black Belt and uh, getting um, economic money and resources. So the designation um, is uh, an economic boon. It also um, not only pays tribute and honor to the heritage and to the legacy that is um, the, the Black Belt, but it also will, I think, spur economic revitalization of the Black Belt as well. I always uh, I put an emphasis, um, especially when uh, during I came into Congress when black when earmarks were not um, were not uh, you know given to members of Congress. We know that Senator Shelby, as the the the, the lead Republican on the appropriation side, has uh, the last word on what goes into these appropriation bills, and he puts stuff in there. That's great for the state of Alabama, but you know um, only recently did we get community projects that we could actually member sponsored uh, money going to projects in one's district. Uh, but prior to that, I made it a point since my district is so rich in history um, to try to make sure that we have adequate funding. I created, I helped to create uh, the, uh, the, the fund for civil rights sites, knowing that 
um, preservation for civil rights sites, a disproportionate amount of that money from the Department of Interior would come uh, to my district. And in fact, that's the truth. And so, you know, we've gotten um, a lot of money for historic preservation uh, throughout the, the state of Alabama. Most recently this year, we got $4 million uh, for churches across uh, Alabama's uh, 7th Congressional District. Um, uh, the maximum grant that any one entity can get is $500,000. And we were able to get $500,000 for, um, you know, Selma's uh, Brown Chapel AME Church, for Montgomery's um, Mount Zion AME Church, as well as um, uh, Tabernacle Baptist Church uh, in Selma as well. And that's real money going to uh, the foundations of these um, these uh, particular churches that were so in such important spaces during the civil rights moment to make movement to make sure that they're preserved. Uh, likewise, um, uh, Jim Clyburn and I, Congressman Clyburn and I, uh, were the key sponsors of historic preservation of civil rights sites on the campus of HBCUs. Yet another pot of money that we were able to legislatively authorize uh, in um, in the budget and. Um, most recently, uh, I announced that five Alabama HBCUs received $2.5 million, uh, and that was a $500,000, the maximum amount um, that was given to Miles College to preserve Williams Hall, uh, $500,000 to preserve um, uh, Trenum Hall on the, on the campus of the Alabama State University. Uh, Selma University got $500,000 to help preserve uh, Dinkin Memorial Hall, and um, Stillman College was able to get uh, $500,000 uh, for Shepherd Library um, to become a civil rights museum on the campus of Stillman College. And Alabama A&M, not in my district, but we try to support all of our HBCUs knowing how important they are. Uh, Alabama A&M received $500,000 to restore Carnegie Hall Library on that on their campus. Um, so there's lots of ways to skin that cat, I, uh, Josh I, I, and David. I hope you realize that being a member of Congress is not just about uh, passing legislation. It is literally using this uh, position as a conduit for the change you want to see, for the economic development that you want to see in your district. And there are lots of ways to go about doing that. Um, and in a district that's so rich in history, like Alabama 7th Congressional District, Birmingham, Montgomery, Selma, Tuscaloosa, the Black Belt, um, we are steeped in history. So when you, when you um, help to uh, authorize and create grant opportunities in this area, in this space, what you're doing is uh, helping to funnel money and resources back home to help not only preserve those places, uh, but to also help um, revitalize economically, revitalize those areas, whether it's on the campus of a HBCU or the downtown uh, area of Marion, you are helping um, to spur economic development um, and create tourism, um, which also can um, bring in more um, economic development. So we can, my final question, Congresswoman, mm -hmm. is we can, uh, when can we start to expect to see announcements relative to how people or how businesses mm -hmm. or nonprofits, as the case may be, can access that money? Yes. So um, first, the Heritage, uh, the Black Belt Heritage Bill passed the House. It now goes to the Senate. And so we have to wait for the Senate to pass it and it to be signed into law before that bill becomes operable. But I want you to know that all day long, historic preservation on the campuses of historically black colleges, um, that's already authorized and the money is appropriated every year. Um, we have about um, 
40 million for, um, sorry, 25 million for historic preservation of civil rights sites and 10 million for historic preservation of civil rights sites on the campus of HBCUs. The maximum grant is 500,000. And for the last uh, six years, we have been receiving a disproportionate amount of that in our district because of the rich history of our district, both on the campus of HBCUs, but also in these cities like Montgomery and Birmingham and, um, and you know, Perry County and all the various counties that we have. And so my, my office has a grants coordinator because we know how important federal grant opportunities are. And we provide support letters for nonprofits and these, um, these, uh, these HBCUs uh, when they submit their grants. Uh, if you're in my district, we can provide a support letter for that grant opportunity. And you know, I, I, I'm not shy, so I often pick up the phone and call the National Park Service um, to accompany um, the, 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 my support with a verbal support uh, for these projects. Um, but it's transformational. And sometimes they're year to year, um, uh, multi-year grants. So uh, for example, uh, Brown Chapel in Selma has gotten three uh, $500,000 grants. So that's $1.5 million for that church to renovate and keep, um, you know, that was a church where the marchers came back uh, and retreated after they were bludgeoned, you know, Bloody Sunday um, on the bridge. So, you know, I think that understanding what's available federally for grant opportunities and then getting your member of Congress to help support you, uh, not just through a letter, but but being willing to pick up the phone and, and provide that, um, that support directly to those agencies. Um, is 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 a, is one way that we can actually give back, and so I'm really happy about the historic preservation and the fact that we get so many resources that way. Um, you know, like last year was the first year that we, um, the Congress, in the last uh, 15 years actually, had member-directed community projects that we could actually uh, support, and I. Um, sponsored $8 million worth of community projects throughout my district. Um, we've been going around providing those checks uh, to the various <laughs> community projects. But just to give you a feel for the kind of community projects that we were able to get funded in the 2020 uh, um, budget, uh, Jefferson County got, um, uh, City of Birmingham got $3 million for uh, North Birmingham Elementary School uh, for their redevelopment project. Um, I was able to get um, $575,000 directly to Hill Hospital in York, Alabama. It's in the Black Belt on the verge of closing for them to be able to get equipment and keep their facilities open, especially during a pandemic. Um, the city of Selma received $500,000 for its community-oriented policing service. So, you know, uh, Cornerstone Revitalization Foundation uh, received $1.5 million uh, for workforce development activities. And so... You know, this is a way for us to be able to direct money um, to projects that are going on in our district. And so it's uh, the first time that I have been able to uh, participate since I've been in Congress in, on anything that sounds like an earmark <laughs> that you can actually right, right. <laughs> that you can actually provide directly to your um, to your constituents. And so um, the good news is that um, because of the success of transparency, we had to announce the projects that we were uh, submitting. If you go to my website, sewell.house.gov, you can see uh, my submission for the 2023 budget. Um, in fact, I have about 
uh, $40 million worth of submissions for uh, 2023. I learned from Richard Shelby very well. That <laughs> yeah. you if you don't your, ask, you don't get you, it. You, exactly. You dip your toe in at eight, $8 million that first year. And the next yeah. year, I'm trying to get uh, closer to $50 million. Um, So uh, you'll see the projects that we submitted. And, you know, there are big projects like, um, you know, money for Maxwell Air Force Base, which will become a part of my district in the redistricting. I now received a, a larger portion of Montgomery County and a larger portion of Jefferson County. And so, uh, you know, those are all good things. And so, um, you know, just, you know, every day is a challenge, but, uh, you know, I, there's no one who loves her district more than me. I grew up in this district. I understand the frustrations uh, of this district, the, um, the, the lack of attention economically that this, that this district has had historically. And so the challenge for me and my staff every day is to wake up and figure out ways that we can provide uh, better, you know, better opportunities and more resources to the to the folks of this district. Well, I know, I know you have to get out. <laughs> I, I, I know you've got to get out of here. I know that well, you're, those you're, bells that you heard mean yeah. that um, that a That's vote right. has been called. But, um, you know, the vote has been about- called. I, I, I did want to ask one last <laughs> yeah. thing. Though. I do want to sure. ask one last thing quickly. You, you are our, our only female um, in, in Congress. Uh, and I'm uh, only African-American in Congress. Yes. Certainly, certainly. Yeah. Uh, but there are uh, a number of women, I think, in, in the state of Alabama right now that are very scared and very worried about what the future holds for them. Um, and I know that uh, the Democrats in the House have done a lot of things to try to ease uh, what is a very tumultuous time for a lot of people. Um, what, you know, what would you like to say to them? Uh, to the to the women of the state, and particularly you know your district and and all around the state. Well, I hope that they know that um, on issues like uh, women's reproductive rights, on issues uh, like uh, Defense of Marriage Act, um, I think that it's important that folks know that um, I'm going to fight every day for the people. Uh, it's not about the politics of it; it's putting people over politics. And when you do that you see that women's reproductive rights is about women's health rights, rights in the health space, access issue. It's an access issue. And the reality is that whether you're, uh, you know, pro-choice or, um, you know, pro-life, and I hate these terms because I'm pro-life, but I believe in a woman's right to determine with her doctors, her, um, you know, what's best in her best interest health-wise. It is not for a member of Congress or the president of the United States to tell someone what they can't or cannot, you know, can or cannot do uh, with their own bodies, right? Mm. Those are really, those are personal decisions. And we need to take personal um, decisions like that out of the realm of politics. And so um, I just want to reassure you that the president, uh, this administration, and I can tell you that, that House Democrats are singularly focused on giving the power back to the people and putting people before politics. Uh, that's why we've tried to we we have in the House passed a bill to codify uh, Roe v. Wade uh, in light of the Supreme Court decision. Um, likewise, the House also just passed the Defense of Marriage Act to codify uh, marriage equality. Um, you know, uh, trying to get ahead of what the Supreme Court is hell bent on doing, and that's you know unraveling 50 years of precedent and 50 years of uh, it's hard when you give someone a right to take that right away, especially when that right is so personal. Right. Um, I don't I don't think that it's my job to tell people who they can love and can't love. And I don't think that that uh, we uh, as, uh, you know, elected officials should be in the business of uh, of dictating that these are 
these are intensely personal decisions. And so we will continue to fight for the people. And that also includes fighting for our democracy, right? Um, you know, this is not about the, you know, I, I got I got approached at, uh, at air, uh, several airports re recently from members of Alabama, from, from um, Alabama, uh, Alabamians about the January 6th, come, you know, uh, hearings and what was going on. And I think there's no, there's no more important thing than preserving this democracy. You know, this is a great experience, uh, a, a ex experiment. Our democracy is an experiment. And it can only stand and hold if we, the people, continue uh, to, you know, preserve this democracy. And um, whatever side of the politics that you're on, it shouldn't matter when the, this nation is attacked from within. And that's exactly what happened on January 6th. I was in the gallery. I was one of the ones stuck in the gallery for 45 minutes after they removed Mike Pence and Nancy Pelosi and the leadership. Uh, you know, but to have you know, um, to be attacked from within is an insurgency and that insurrection should never happen again. And so getting to the bottom of how it happened, what happened, and then making sure that it never happens again, that is our job as lawmakers uh, and as defenders of our constitution and defenders of our um, democracy. Beautiful. And I won't apologize for that. Yeah. No, and you shouldn't. And uh, and listen, we'll uh, we'll keep praising you for it. Uh, so uh, because uh, uh, that and, and all the other stuff. And, and listen, I know you're busy. Thank you for taking so, yes. so well, much thank time. Thank you so much. Uh, and I, as I began this uh, this talk, I'm going to end with our job fair. Our job right. fair uh, for anyone who's looking for a job, who have a job but wants a better job, or um, you know the opportunity to have under one roof um, seventy plus uh, employers uh, from a from 10 different industries, everything from, you know, police departments and state jobs to uh, to jobs at Alabama Power and Hyundai and Mercedes-Benz and the like, you know, they'll, they'll be under one roof. It's an opportunity for you to submit your resume directly to people uh, for, for those jobs and to really ask the questions that you can't find on their website. And so I hope people will come out. Um, there, our 11th annual job fair is this coming Thursday. Um, not tomorrow, but I mean, Thursday, August 4th, <laughs> Thursday, August 4th from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. So 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. in Selma, Alabama at the gymnasium on the campus of Wallace Community College. I hope to see your face in the place August 4th. All right. Thank you, Congresswoman Sewell. At yeah. Tennessee. And I hope people are, I hope when I see your face in the place that you have your resume and your address for success. That's right. <laughs> Get a job. That's right. Get those <laughs> jobs. That's right. Yeah. It's all about yeah. jobs. You know, in this inflationary economy, I want folks to know that we're hard at trying, you know, we're working hard to decrease our the the cost of gasoline at the at the pumps, but also to decrease costs across the board, especially. When I think about prescription drugs, you know, we are singularly focused on trying to, to lower costs, uh, trying to make our community safer, protecting our democracy. Those are the things that I want folks to know. And I want them to know that I, I, I work very hard to try to make sure that I'm pulling people before politics. Right. Gotcha. No, it's listen, I, and there, there's nobody who doubts that. There's not. Even, <laughs> even the people on the other side of the aisle, they know better. They know better at this point. So. And I'm willing to work across the aisle because we have to. It's, you know, the, the, the dirty word in Congress seems to be see compromise. But the reality is in order to get things done, one has to compromise. 
So even with, you know, you, you can't be a purist in this, um, in this, uh, uh, in, you know, in, in, in public service, because if you're really trying to serve the people, then you're trying to do and get whatever resources, whatever opportunities you can get for those people. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So Congresswoman Terry, so well, thank you so much yes, thank you, uh, Congresswoman. For, for all the time and uh, thank listen, you so much, I, David. Thanks, yep. Josh. Thank you. That, we'll look forward to talking to her again very soon. It, it, is uh, listen, she does a great job. You know, she just uh, she's you know, I mm-hmm. you I mean, just talking about the you other know, stuff at, at Alabama A and M. Not yeah. her district. She didn't care. It's uh, you know somebody that needed help and needed the service, and and she she got it done. That's and, right. And that's what you want. You know, you want people engaged and, and paying attention. That's right. All right, let's uh. Let's uh, slide out of here. We'll come back in just a minute and wrap this baby up. It's Alabama Politics This Week. Back in a minute. All right. Hey, everybody. If you would uh, like an opportunity to interact with us here at Alabama Politics This Week, uh, we've got a great way for you to do that. Uh, shoot a question over to apwproducer at gmail.com. That's apwproducer at gmail.com. Anything about Alabama politics you want to know about, uh, I don't know, what, what everybody likes to drink or uh, where everybody likes to hang out or, you know, whatever. Whatever your question may be, uh, what chances the Democrats might have uh, in the uh, the upcoming midterm elections, uh, shoot us a question over at apwproducer at gmail.com apwproducer at gmail.com. Thanks. All righty. Welcome back. Alabama politics this week. Our uh, thanks to uh, Terry Sewell. Uh, at, uh, I mean, she, she is good. I, you know, I, I brought up the arguments that I had with uh, Fred Gray and UW Clement. And man, UW Clement. Oh, he, UW Clement is, is somebody like me. And we, and we we get along now. I, mm-hmm. a, I would I don't know. Friend would be would probably be too strong, but uh, but certainly a friendly acquaintance mm-hmm. uh, at this point. And uh, but when I first met him, he was the attorney for Alabama State uh, during the midst of an investigation, and I wanted documents from UW Clement. Mm-hmm. And man, that dude ran me in circles. He ran, <laughs> oh, it was, oh, and I used to get so mad at him, man. It was, oh, he was, and he basically took the position. I don't have to give you that. And, uh, and it's, I was like, what are you talking about? Of course you do. It's like, but nope, I don't. And I was like, yes, you've got to. He's like, really? Make me. And it was just, you know, <laughs> the man literally said, UW Clement. One of the most recognizable judges in American history. This right. to me. Make me. <laughs> <laughs> and then laughed. <laughs> and then wow. laughed about it. Wow. Yeah, it's a uh, man. He's he's great. He really is great. I mean, you know, you're frustrated in the moment, but I'm you know I'm one of those people on the backside of most arguments. I'll come back and be like, man, that's pretty funny. Uh, you know mm. what transpired there is uh, is pretty hilarious. And so that was. Uh, but uh, uh, listen, it's a uh, you know she's Terry Sewell is is really good and uh, I, I'm lucky lucky to have her. Hopefully, we'll keep her for a nice long time. Um, she's done some but, good things for our state, without question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's good to see uh, Richard Shelby, uh, you know, partnering with her on the mm-hmm. uh, the Black Belt Initiative uh, as he has and and carrying the bill in the Senate. Uh, so hopefully that uh, that gets pushed through uh, right along with my damn daylight savings bill. Uh, what uh, you know. What's happening? I should have asked her about this. I, I need a sponsor of the Daylight Savings Bill in the House, you know, to get this thing out. 
Yeah, it seems like it's kind of uh, hit a wall, right? It's yeah. Wall, right? Yeah, the Senate passed it unanimously, and now the House is just, you know, killing me. Killing me over here, man. Four o'clock sunsets. <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> no four o'clock sunsets. <laughs> there are, man. So yeah, four about four about four forty, about four forty four. No, 45. I think it's like four fifteen or something along those lines. Four fifteen, no, four twenty. No, oh, no. I'm telling. Well, well, I'll find. I'll, I'll look it up. I'll look. You know, you're gonna get a string of texts from me. Is what's gonna happen. You're gonna keep on with this. Well, let me know, tell. Before. Let me tell you how why I'm so sure. See, <laughs> okay. as a uh, as a somebody who was born and raised in the Seventh Day Adventist Church, the one uh-huh. thing that we had to do was know when sunset was on Friday and sunset on Saturday so that we oh. could keep our Sabbath. So, oh. I mean, I, I pretty much keep up with the, yeah. with the ways of the sun when it comes to yeah. uh, rising See, uh, and setting. I have no such faith-based uh, issue. Right. <laughs> in there. I'm, I'm approximating all these sunsets, man. You know, I can approximate. I'm a heathen. I can approximate a sunset. <laughs> That's a good thing about being a heathen. We can just tell you when a sunset was and just be like, well, okay, sometime around in there, whatever. Right. Uh, you know, I don't know, it's about four o'clock. It's dark. That's all I remember. It's dark and cold. Leave right. me alone. Uh, nah, all right. So, uh, oh, we're going to, we, we went long. Uh, me complaining about Steve Marshall and with, and with Terry Sewell. Uh, so we're going to be brief here at the end to wrap this thing up and we'll get right to our right wing of the week and, and get us into the discussion for that. Uh, cause it's, uh, it's Kay Ivey, uh, who's a right wing or Kay Ivey's office and then several other, uh, my, my man. So, uh, David's governor, Kay Ivey and my lieutenant governor, Will Ainsworth. Um, and this ridiculous, shots that they took at the Alabama Department of Public Health. Um, Utterly ridiculous. I, I mean, uh, the Department of Public Health put out a simple tweet that just said, Let's, uh, you, you know, to, it's better to be safe than sorry. You know, we should all work to, to normalize masking in situations in which people feel unsafe. Uh, uh, I mean, what, is, what in the hell is wrong with that? Do you know That's how many so people mask yeah. mask up in Asian countries all the time? I mean, they do it all the time, and they don't think anything about it. Okay, and listen, y'all know my y'all know my stance on masks. I'm not wearing mask unless you make me. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm just I, I may live to regret it at some point, but I don't like the uh, the way it makes me feel. Okay, sure. I don't, sure. and I'm a child. Okay, I'm a spoiled <laughs> child. And I understand that. All right. However, if you are a person who says, listen, I've got a health problem, uh, I would appreciate people wearing a mask or we're in a situation where a, a kid's birthday party, a person's birthday, what, you know, whatever. Um, and you say, listen, we would like it if everybody wore a mask. I'm going to pull it out, put the mask on, not say anything. I'm not going to complain. That, I think, is something that each person ought to be able to decide. And if they, if they ask you to do that, you understand the health risks that, that a lot of people uh, have. And so what what's what's wrong with saying, oh, look, there's a guy wearing a mask. No big deal. You know, I mean, yeah. why does this bother people so damn much? I don't mm. understand. Especially in a state where the culture is supposed to be all about individual freedom. So yeah. If 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 it's about individual freedom, then doggone it, let me wear my mask if I want to, 
Or if I don't want to, like you're saying, since they're now, you know, the national, the science has put us in a position where it's a little murkier. It's not quite as clear cut as it was before, Mm -hmm. uh, apparently, at least right now. uh, Then, okay, fine. You know, government's not mandating it. So fine. You don't want to wear a mask. Fine. But if I want to, how does that affect you? How does that hurt you? I, I, you know, she, her her office put out this really childish statement. And listen, I'm all about a ball joke. Okay, I love you know you to make you to make jokes about nuts and balls. I'm you know whatever, man. I'm all over it. Okay, I'll laugh. I'll laugh at your penis jokes. You know, okay, I'm good with that. Okay, okay. I, I, I like a good dick joke. All right, it's fine. All right, I'm, I'm you know really, it's fine. Tell tell me a good one. Tell me a good one. All right, I'm I ain't good got with that one for you. But okay, well. See, and this one wasn't a good one either. It was stupid. It okay. was, you know, a, a seafood restaurant would be more likely to serve Rocky Mountain oysters than we would to have a mask mandate. You know, we're past this, you know, whatever. And then uh-huh. Will Ainsworth came on the backside and said that, you know, the pandemic is over and, uh, you know, it's a scare tactics and you're hurting business. And it's pandemic's well, not over. No. And and that, that's the reason about? why they put this out. I mean, it's like the. the who do they think's working at the Department of Public Health? My yeah. God. I mean, it's like, you know, it's not, they're not trying to undermine anybody. They're watching the hospitalization levels start mm-hmm. to rise again. They're watching people go to the doctor's office and have, you know, this. My dad, while we were at the beach, got COVID. We had to yeah. get another condo for him to stay in so he could, uh, you know, quarantine for, you know, five days. Right. Uh, you know, and so listen. There's, I know more people, and it is you know probably by just chance. Uh, but I know more people who've had COVID in the last month than I did in the previous two years. Hmm. I don't know, you know, maybe I'm just around a lot of careless people now who think like Will Ainsworth that the damn pandemic's over, yeah. and so nobody's doing anything. You know, well, hell, supposedly I, it's supposedly it's more transmissible now, but less deadly, which is yeah, I guess. Good for us, right? But yeah, yeah, it's you know. well. I'll, I'll tell you this. I mean, my dad took that uh, the the Fauci medicine, whatever Fauci took. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because my dad's over seventy, so he falls in that group of you know higher risk, and so they can get the medicine. Not only can they get it thanks to Joe Biden, uh, they can also get it for free. Um, you know, we were mm-hmm. ready to pay like three hundred bucks for this uh, prescription for this stuff, and they just handed it to us. And we're like, wait a minute, <laughs> I think we missed a step. Um, but he took it. 24 wow. hours, man. I mean, he had just uh, just 24 hours later, he had just a scratchy throat and that was it. Uh, nice. I mean, just nice. he had he, he felt like he had a, like a full blown sinus infection is what he said. You know, he just felt bad, you know, felt draggy, had had the fever, was not feeling good at all, uh, had a severe headache uh, the first night, couldn't sleep. And then twi- literally 24 hours after taking that medicine, he was fine uh, and has been fine ever since. Nice. Um, so in that regard. You know, we're basically less problematic than the flu in a lot of ways for a lot of people because of that medicine now. So, but still, it's a whole thing. You don't want to do it. You know what I mean? And so Mm -hmm. if you want to wear a mask, because listen, no matter what people tell you about masks, it's common freaking sense that if you put these things over your mouth and everybody has these things on, there's less stuff that's floating right. around the air all right and so that's it works right. for for it may not work for extended periods of time than in close quarters and uh with people rubbing up against each other and all that kind of stuff that it may be less effective as you go along okay mm-hmm. but 
in brief sessions, I believe that they work. And I think it's idiotic to think that they don't. And so, but even if they don't, Shut the fuck up about it, okay? <laughs> you know? It's Nobody's making you do it. Yeah, who's Leave it, it alone. Yeah, yeah, who's it hurting? Yeah. I mean, you feel you know, better now? No, never. Oh. So, no, I mean, you know, I I don't feel, I didn't feel bad. I said, there's things that are on my mind. That's the only reason we do this podcast, so I can rant and rave for a little while. Somebody will listen to me and laugh every now and then. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. but... Uh, my wife used to laugh at me, and she stopped, and so now I got you. <laughs> Wait a minute. That almost makes me sound like I'm your work wife. I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> In a lot of ways, yes. That's the reason why I'm so worried about you leaving me. You know? <laughs> That's that true note. what they say. I went black. Now I can't go back. You know what I'm <laughs> And the rumors were now commenced. Uh, well, I'd say Josh it would be David tough on sitting it. in a tree. I mean, yeah, I right. guess well, that's hey, what comes next. It'd be, it'd be tough for those rumors because uh, Josh and David hadn't even sat in the same room in more than three years, I think. Yeah, now, so. something? Yeah, yeah I know, right? Yeah. yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while. Yeah. But uh, you know what? It's uh, it's fun. It's I, I enjoy doing this. And uh, it, it's, you know, it is, it is, you know, kind of a rant and rave from time to time, as people have rightfully noted. But, uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully, as Terry Sewell said, we, we bring to light some things that you don't get everywhere else. And, uh, sure think and, so. Uh, sure hope so. Uh, and I know for a fact that we put a lot of people out there uh, in, in these interviews that you never hear from. Uh, on other radio stations and in a lot of uh, newspapers and, and other places. So That's right. uh, yeah. if nothing else, you, you get those. And so for that, uh, you know, send us money. Um, <laughs> or don't. I don't. It doesn't matter. We're okay. We're doing fine. Uh, so, so, but uh, you know what? Let's get out of here. All right. Um, Till next week, y'all be safe out there. Peace. Peace.